Welcome to Decolonizing Sexuality, where we have intellectual conversations that change the way we think about sexuality and question if that may have an impact on how we think about everything else. This is your host, Carrie Benton. Hey, welcome back, everyone. I know I said I was going to talk about the relationally fluid empath today, but I wanted to take up the responsibility to create the structure around this podcast before we dive in any further. So I talk about how decolonization is about courageously recreating structures in ways that are actually congruent with decolonization content. Because you realize that colonization lies at the structural level in a way that titrates down from the largest to the smallest scale, which even affects the ways in which you can typically share content under unquestioned societal norms. So in the episode you're about to hear, I talk a lot about what people call anti-racism today, including the more holistic fact that abusive people will arise in any culture, creed or color, and start to make, and they start to make the rules. We see this in all parts of history and it's not just applied to whiteness. To me, it's really about dispelling the narcissistic dynamics that are worshipped in our culture because anything that's worshipped is perpetuated and it will continue to resurface in any color or creed if we don't address and stop the deification and perpetuation of these narcissistic dynamics. So basically what I'm saying is that we don't really want to lose sight of the big picture and the small picture, right? Or else we won't be able to make any lasting impact on all of the isms. It's all narcissistic dynamics and abusive dynamics. So my perspective is that abusive people are the ones who make the rules at the smallest and the largest scale. Then the codependent followers lose sight of the fact that the rules were made by the abusive people. So they end up idolizing that abusive people can easily succeed under their own rules without even realizing it. When I hear people say, I wish I could be as good as them, it ends up being at its core really meaning, these rules don't come naturally to me because I'm not abusive, but I wish I could follow the rules that abusive people made because then I'll get maximum extrinsic value or external validation or legitimization, right? But when you lay it out like that, it's a very short-sighted ideal and it kind of distracts us from decolonization. It's something that only matters under an abusive system of rules to begin with. Also, a quick reminder that this episode is explicit, so just be aware of that. All right, enjoy today's episode. So today, I wanted to talk more about the structure, like the idea of structure and content. Because if a structure... If a structure is incompatible with the contents, or if the form is incompatible with the contents that are in it, then we could have some serious issues. So the way I want to synthesize that today is more so about the structure of podcasting and the creative contents that I want to be able to share, but through the filter of podcasting. Podcasting is a really weird, I mean, I have found podcasting to be very weird because I thought that I would be able to just talk 
and that be okay. However, and I'm aware, I'm aware that people, I mean, I am very experienced with audio editing myself because I used to be a musician, composer, audio engineer, producer, basically, I mean, pianist, vocalist, I mean, you name it. I have done whatever you can name in music, I probably have done, uh, save, you know, I haven't played every single instrument known to human beings, right? But I have written for many, many instruments. So I say all that to say that I'm aware of the need for audio editing, but at the same time, I'm very torn because one thing I do know about decolonization and one thing I do know about dismantling negative structures in our society, if there's one thing I know about that, it's that we cannot continue to entertain structures that aren't creative, but then think that your creative content is really going to come through the form, you know, the form and the societal expectations of what is supposed to happen in a podcast is not very conducive to this concept of relational fluidity that I talk about. And sometimes when you dismantle structures, things can be very awkward because you bringing up things that are mostly unconscious for people and things that are often unquestioned. So it's going to be awkward, but I'm willing to make the sacrifice in order to promote relational fluidity because I think it is very valuable. So one example is the editing of audible pauses, you know, the likes, the ums, the you knows, right? That to me doesn't really give a sense of, it doesn't really give a sense of organic speaking when you feel like you're constantly having to edit yourself. And yeah, you can say that other, you know, other people, a lot of times people will say, well, well, you should just adapt. But as I was speaking with a friend the other day about adaptation is not necessarily the best route all the time, especially if you are promoting new structures, new cultures and decolonization. I don't necessarily believe that adaptation is a way for us to go about that. Also, some of the stuff with the background noise, often people try to edit out background noise. And I understand that there are people who are hard of hearing and that, you know, so within reason, yes, editing out things that could be potentially that would basically make your podcast hard to hear. Yes, I can understand that being something that's worth doing for listeners. However, when I just want to be outside, 
or when I am in places where I feel my most at my most creative, I feel as if I have the right to be able to record in these spaces and that it'd be okay. So once again, these are all things that clamp down creativity. Another thing is the whole doing your podcast once a week thing. It's very linear. And what about all the nonlinear thinkers? What about the people who want to do a podcast on our emergent timing instead? That whenever it feels right, that's when I want to do a podcast. Not once a freaking week. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yes, maybe there are, you know, maybe that's what the data says. The data says that once a week is the best, um, you know, is the best frequency amount to do your podcast. However, that's not even how creativity works most of the time. If you look at the data, a lot of the times creativity is very sporadic. It is up and down, up and down, you know. I had somebody recently ask me the other day, like, oh, my gosh, how did you write a 50-page essay? And they were trying so much to quantify it. They were like, well, did you write every day? Or, like, you know, how long did it take you? And I was like, none of this matters. People are asking me, like, how did you find the motivation to do this? I'm like, how did I find the motivation to do this? Well, first of all, I was passionate about it. That's first and foremost. A lot of times people just do stuff. (laughs) And then they don't, they don't understand why they don't have enough motivation in order to do that thing. This makes no sense to me. So I found something that I was deeply passionate about, and I did it. And so that's how it happened. It was over the course of, I think, what? I can say that it took about six months, but I can't really even say that because I can't even remember the last time I wrote in that thing. I just, I don't even know. I literally don't even know how long it took me to do it. Because it doesn't matter. And that's the reality of the situation, that when you are looking at fluidity and creativity, it doesn't matter at all to try to quantify anything. I'm not saying that this is how you should try to achieve all of your goals. Yes, there are some goals that are best achieved linearly. But when it comes to creative work, I think a lot of times people create these conditions such that they won't be able to encase the content that they want within that structure. And that is the issue. And that's precisely what I'm talking about when it comes to this whole podcast structure and the expectations therein. So, Basically, what I'm saying and what the purpose of this specific episode is to do is to dispel all expectations, um, all presuppositions about what my podcast is supposed to sound like, supposed to be like, all of the shoulds and supposed tos don't belong here. So if you're looking for shoulds and supposed tos, then you can stop listening to this podcast. Thank you and goodbye. (laughs) so that's what I'm saying and I understand that people care about data so much and that it's like well the people who get the most podcast views do ABC well guess what what if that's not even my goal right what if 
what if I'm just trying to share my creative work? So I think a lot of times people will often turn away from things that don't fit the natural structure. And they do that unconsciously because the structure itself is unconscious. So what I'm doing now is I am bringing consciousness, which is decolonization. I am bringing consciousness to structures that are inherently limiting and actually banish the possibility for creative contents to flow within that structure. I'll give you an example. So when I tried to do YouTube videos, I only got four YouTube videos in before I said, no, I'm not doing this ever again. Or that I, I mean, it just took, it took so much out of me because the most important thing about YouTube really is image. And I could not, I could not deal with that kind of structure. Whenever, whenever I saw that my content was good, but then did not have the kind of structure, I mean, I just, I'm just completely against that kind of structure to begin with, which is what keeps very creative people out. And that's what I'm saying. We have to decolonize the idea of creativity because the YouTube creators and all that stuff out there are the ones who actually have the stamina to be able to, and you know, and the resources and what have you, and the, and the care, just even enough care about image to begin with, to be able to carefully curate their image. And it's just like, I am, I am so not image focused at all. I am not image focused by any means. And so that kept me as a creative out. And so that's what's, that's the problem is that it's very important to analyze the holistic structure before you make any judgments because structures can keep people out and can keep people that really need to be listened to out. So it's just something to think about. And yes, I am in my car and I am recording and you probably hear my keys jingling and all of that. And I have no issue with that. But I think it's very important to address these kinds of things and bring consciousness to them. Because if we don't, then we, we still have to deal with a lot of this stuff. And we know, we all know that when we listen to something and the structure is just completely that, you know, or that it does not fit within the structure that has already been set. We already, we know. We may not know when a person fits the structure, but we definitely know when they don't. And it gives me, it gives me a lot of thoughts on neurodiversity. It gives me a lot of thoughts on these kinds of things and the reason why, you know, because I am, as a neurodiverse, I am a neurodiverse person. Um, and so that gives me a different insight into, it gives me a very different insight into creative flow and not fitting, inherently not fitting within many structures. So if you're listening to this podcast, just be aware that, mm -mm, nope, you're going to hear stuff. You're going to hear stuff in the background. That's life. That's life. And if anything, maybe it'll even feel like you are sitting next to me in the car. Who knows? <laughs>
you know? Honestly, that's the way I would want to listen to a podcast. I would rather hear somebody, you know, I'd rather hear somebody just be themselves and be organic and not this whole radio show bullshit. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. It's fine if if that's who you are. If that's you doing you, then excellent. I get that. So it's not bullshit for those people. But it is bullshit for people who inherently do not fit those structures. And I will not. I will continue to do this podcast and I will do it in the way that I need to do it because I have different sensory needs. I have a lot of different needs that maybe a person who is neurotypical or not neurodiverse would not understand. And that's okay. You know, and I understand that it's always a balance. You know, you miss out on some golden ass moments. Whenever you're constantly trying to fit into these structures that just don't, you just can't. Some people can do that, and that's beautiful. Good for you. And I will say this, too. I think it's also important to say this, that some people's role in life is to be able to work within the system in order to change it. That is the truth. And that is actually an extremely effective and proven, you know, it's very It's been proven effective um, in systems change because I took many, many courses in systems theory um, and systems change. So I do know that that is a proven model that works, that working within the system to change it. And we all do that in different ways. We all do. I mean, I do too in different ways, you know. Um, So that's a thing. But it also is very important to be able to realize how different or what your role is within the context of the whole. Because if your role is not to work within the system in order to change it, then you will be having a hard time and you won't really be able to. It's just not going to be sustainable for you. And that's what I realized. That is what I have realized personally. So I got to eat my lunch in a moment. I just realized it's 4 p.m. and I haven't eaten lunch yet. I packed a whole last lunch and I didn't even, I'm like, damn, I got some avocado in there. It's ready to eat and a salad. Shoot, that's going to be fire. It's going to be good. Yeah, so you know what? The reason why I made this too is because what I noticed is that I'm so passionate about the content that I'm sharing, but I realized the structure actually started to make me feel more discouraged about sharing in this way and sharing through this medium. At this point, I'm saying, you know what, I'm just going to take a chance and I'm going to do it the way that I want to do it. And after that, it is what it is. It's how it goes. I know that a lot of people on podcast episodes don't actually talk about making a podcast. I think that that's a level of vulnerability that people are not willing to get at. And that's okay. This makes me think about my thoughts on what I'm calling new leadership. Because that's what I believe new leadership is. New leadership is, you know, the leadership of the future is malleable. Because one leader is not an expert in everything. We, we all know that. And there's really no such thing as the experts. 
and I think that that's what I'm saying is in the in the future, you know, there's no concept of expert. There's no concept of expertise anymore. That we're all really learning, and that we're all growing, and that there is no real hierarchy, unless it is some kind of malleable and egoless hierarchy. Because the real issue with an ego-based hierarchy, I mean, the hierarchy itself is not the issue, right? I mean, that's something that is normal in nature. However, um, you know, hierarchy is normal with patterns in nature. It's not an issue. But the issue is the ego, um, the ego patterns within hierarchy actually kind of creates this hierarchical algorithm, right? It, it creates this set of rules that everyone kind of tends to follow. And not only that, but they tend to follow that, like they tend to follow that flow, like a flow chart. They tend to follow this flow of everything must go back to hierarchy. And it's kind of like the underlying logic that it's such a higher, it's become such a hierarchical lens that you can't, that anybody who is under a hierarchical lens won't be able to see anything outside of an ego-based hierarchy. And so what happens with that is that you end up getting or, or dealing with these issues where people who are not trapped in, or people who are not, well, I won't, I won't say trapped, I'll be non, a little less biased about it. People who aren't really on that hierarchical algorithm will not even be able to be perceived and understood in the way that they need to. They're not really going to be fully seen because everything for anybody who is under that umbrella, the ego hierarchy umbrella, that's all that they can perceive. And so think about it. I mean, I grew up this way. I grew up where, because I was not very competitive, I was not very egotistical. Even as a kid, I wasn't. Because I wasn't very egotistical, I mean, there were many adults who were significantly more egotistical than I was growing up. And this happens a lot with neurodiverse people. And so what I'm saying is that it is very common for these kinds of egoless neurodiverse people to feel, to feel such a way where they don't really get understood because they are not seen and mirrored through an egoless lens. So what you end up having is a whole society seeing people as making mistakes just because they don't fit in the dominant culture. And that's, that's the source of ableism. That's the source of racism. That's the source of, I mean, that is the source of whiteness. And so that's why I am bringing this up because whiteness affects everything. It affects everything. And if we're looking at whiteness, what that really, um, uh, an es the aspect of whiteness that this really affects is the whole, yeah, I mean, you know, the holistic part is you are not right if you don't fit in my culture naturally. That's basically one of the biggest parts of groundwork for what whiteness really is. And I'm also aware that many people might say that what I'm doing is just an excuse for me to be lazy.
<laughs> and I think that's sad. <laughs> it's funny. It's it's really funny. Um, but yeah, no, that's not the truth. I mean, it would be different if I just did it and it was fine. But I'm legitimately morally against doing a lot of these things. I want to talk also about strategic authenticity. It's just what I call it, this concept. Basically, what I mean by strategic authenticity is, just like what we're talking about, the form, considering the holistic form, considering the largest scale, the smallest scale, like, you know, what what applies on the large scale, how that ties to how it applies on the smaller scale, your understanding where you need to place yourself in order to be not the most necessarily the most authentic. You know, authenticity is a weird buzzword. The goal is not necessarily about being the most authentic person or being like at your most authentic possible. I think it's more about considering what kind of life that you need to build and what kind of structure that you need to build around you in order to thrive. And once again, that goes right back to relational fluidity. And so strategic authenticity is a huge part. Like a lot of people would say they don't understand when they hear the word strategic authenticity put together, because I think what happens is people see the word strategic and authenticity as a paradox. And depending on who you ask, maybe they could see it as a paradox. What I see it as is an ability to be aware that we are still colonized. Therefore, full authenticity may not actually be realistic. And what I mean by that is not, it, what I really mean by that is, I'll give you an example, because I think a lot of people think that what I mean is that like, oh, you have to fake. No, it's on a deeper level. My example is, the reality is that I am an ambivert given the con given colonized conditions where people are more separated from each other. And so what I'm saying is that I can't, like I literally cannot, I do not have access even to that, to that part of my authenticity this is true authenticity to be to even be able to say to be able to recognize the reality that colonization has created structures and conditions in a way that means that you don't really have i mean most people and the most colonized people don't really have full access to their externalized points of being so that can be particularly difficult so basically, strategic authenticity is saying like, okay, I know that I would probably be an extremely extroverted person if I could be around a group of neurodiverse people. However, the majority of 
these neurodiverse people are introverts. So what does that mean? Or at least that's what we think, right? I'm not sure, and this is kind of a, a thought, like, I'm not sure if a lot of people, a lot of highly sensitive and highly creative people say that they are introverted just because the conditions are created such that we all really get to be together. You know what I mean? So I really don't know. I'm not sure. Perhaps it could have been an adaptation to colonization. I'm not saying that I think a lot of times people get these weird things around introversion because people have, for, for such a long time, people have bashed introversion, especially in the U.S., which I think is so stupid and ridiculous. And I just want to make sure to dispel those thoughts now because that is not what I'm doing consciously or unconsciously. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that, that there's any problem. There's no problem with introversion or extroversion. To be honest, I often thought that my extroversion was a problem because I'm very open and intense. So, so be aware that not everybody, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not just introverts. I mean, extroverted people can be very insecure about their own extroversion as well which is not something that people talk about. It's really weird. <laughs> Once again, it's an authenticity thing, you know? So like strategic authenticity means authenticity that is put, that is actually plugged in with the rest of the inextricable variables that are involved with living in the world. Does that necessarily mean that you have to follow structure? No, not necessarily. Some people need to create their own structure, like me. I have a need to vastly, vastly create my own structure. If I can't create my own structure, then you can forget it. So that's what I'm doing. Because when I say dispel all of your presuppositions about what a podcast is supposed to sound like, it's supposed to, you know, thank goodness there's no look like portion. Because I think a lot of people, I mean, the majority of people, you know, are visual learners. And, you know, it can be significantly more complex than that because there are combinations but uh, that people don't talk about also. But, yes, but anyway, that can be very difficult because whenever you are constantly stuck in structures and told that you have to be a part of that structure. So what I realize that I have to make a commitment to do, I have to literally make a commitment every day to basically make sure that I really am fully expressing my needs. Because if I don't express my very neurodiverse needs, which I think a lot of people have very different needs, to be honest with you, it's just that some people are more likely able to fit into structures more than others. And I think a lot of times we make this assumption that that must mean that those people fit there just because it's easier for them to fit there but what is creativity I mean to me to me creativity and you know this could be another assumption too but it's kind of like my hypothesis I guess on it is like creativity is to explore how you're different and I think that that's an issue is when people feel like they do fit in you know, maybe they don't, maybe they don't even impose upon people who don't fit in, 
but they still impose that they still impose certain things on them upon themselves so that can be particularly difficult because there are lots of neurotypical people who say oh i want to get more and more creative and you know i have clients who don't consider themselves highly creative but maybe are highly sensitive and they're asking me well how can i become more creative how can i do this and i'm like realize that you must question every way that you think that you currently fit in as well as look at the ways that you do not fit in and accept those because there are many many ways that you can think that you fit in but if you don't actually examine those things then you could be you could end up having serious damage done to your body over time because you have been trained not to listen to your emotions and so that you work and work and work it's it's slavery you know like i said it's colonization and whiteness has a lot to do with that whiteness a lot of the times that's another tenet is do not express your emotions outwardly and keep working keep working and forget forget the emotions that you have and i find that particularly interesting because it sounds a lot like cult dynamics oh like the branch davidians and shit <laughs> so yeah it's pretty crazy that when you look at these kinds of things i mean yeah they're they all come from these i mean yeah they're cult dynamics they're narcissistic dynamics because narciss narcissism as a trait um that psychologists call in the dark triad there's machiavellianism psychopathy and narcissism and those three apparently contribute to these kinds of uh traits you know because you don't have to have you can have these traits without having the disorders you know um what i notice is that these are traits in that have to do with whiteness so there these are traits that whiteness really falls under and that can be a particularly difficult thing to to come to terms with if you are a white person because you yourself can say basically when you say oh i'm not racist or i'm not i don't have these issues i don't have the you know three traits in the dark triad or whatever you can say that but you have to realize that you have to realize that what you're saying at that point is you're saying at the smallest scale some of these things don't apply however if at the largest scale that you are you are currently thriving because of because of the darkness that originated at the large scale then i mean what can you say i mean really at that point what can you say because it's not necessarily saying that you're responsible for what was done however there is there should be a sense of responsibility to assist given the nature of the situation that you are thriving i mean there's there's a certain there should be some kind of empathy there you know that like if i found out 
that basically, I mean, I just put myself in that position all the time, which is empathy. I put myself in whiteness's shoes. I'm just like, if I was a white person and I was thriving off of the backs of other people, you know, and because of what my ancestors did to subjugate different people in different ways, you know, you have to, at a certain point, I think I would be like, wow, that's really shitty. You know, maybe it wasn't my fault, but the least I can do is be empathetic about it and try to help, you know, to try to give some kind of reparations, to give some kind of help to donate, you know, I would be donating. That's what I would probably be doing, you know, and I do see a lot of white people donating. So kudos to you white allies who are doing that. Because when you, you know, when you take these different things away, when you say person A kills person B, okay? I mean, a terrible, heinous act, right? Obviously, everybody knows that murder is a problem. So anyway, so person A commits a heinous act on person B. And what happens is, let's say that person A dies. Person A goes on to, you know, live a certain life, a certain amount of lifetime, and then they die. Person B's family might be very, very upset that justice was never served, you know, when it comes to person A. That person A just got to get off the hook that whole time. And basically, person B's family is saying, you know what? We want reparations. Maybe we're, you know, maybe we're even including, including restorative justice in here, right? So we're not saying, we're not trying to send you to jail. Maybe there's a restorative justice model. So then you say, you know what? I need some kind of reparations because, you know, you're, and not you, but person A who belongs to family A, you all are the responsible for the death of person B. It would not be crazy for family B to come back to family A and say, you know what, I want justice, and I'm not going to stop until justice is served. And so that doesn't necessarily, I mean, person A can't go to jail, right? So, and you know, I'm all about restorative justice, and so I don't really believe in jail and that type of bullshit anyway. So, you know, just, just, as, a, just as a marker in here, just to be aware that you're aware of that. Um, but basically, what I'm saying is that person B, the family B, has every right to come to family A, even after the situation had gone on, and to say, you know what, this caused us a lot of distress. This caused us, I mean, profound distress. This person lost their life, and we lost this person because of your relative who is now dead. That's essentially what decolonization is doing, is that we're like, okay, so the, the ones who colonized are people A, and the ones who were colonized are people B. So, so I mean, sometimes when you take away different, when you take away different things and you just add when you, you know, when you add just X or Y or A or B or any of these other notations, what you realize is that there is less bias within 
the structure that you are arguing out of or that you are constructing an argument out of. And so that's actually the reason why my 50-page essay, X of Sex, is called that. Because what I do a lot of the times is I use, I use similar models to formal logic and to, um, I wouldn't say mathematics, but I mean, ma I mean, I don't have any mathematics in there by any means. Please don't be expecting that. <laughs> um, you know. I'm just talking about more of the big picture, like where this stuff comes from um, that you see. Basically, what happens is when you take these things away, when you take away black people, white people, green people, red people, when you take away the colors, when you take away all this stuff and you just, you know, actually paradoxically, you know, wind it down to just A and B, X and Y. When you get to that point, a lot of times it surpasses the bias, the inherent, some of the inherent biases in the unconscious mind. So that can be, I think it can be very valuable to know that. And so that's basically where the name X of Sex comes from. And it also was inspired by a dear friend of mine named Ben Matson, who is most likely going to co-host the next episode of Decolonizing Sexuality. I'm very excited to pick his brain like I always do, but just in, you know, within the structure now that you can hear it. Because a lot of what happened in this 50-page essay was inspired by um, my discussions with him regarding decolonizing sexuality. So I can't wait to have a conversation with him for you all to hear because he has such an abstract and expansive mind. And that's such an important part of creativity. It's so important. So the co-hosts that I have on this show will be exemplars of creativity simply by being. So... I think that I'm going to go inside and prep dinner and I will talk to you next time. Peace out. Yo, yo. Thanks so much for listening today. A reminder to please share if you think that this content is valuable for the people in your lives. Have a great day, evening, night, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye.